0: section ten of the captain of the pole star and other tales by arthur conan doyle this librivox recording is in the public domain the man from archangel part one on the fourth day of march in the year eighteen sixty seven being at that time in my five-and-twentieth year i wrote down the following words in my notebook the result of much mental perturbation and conflict the solar system amidst a countless number of other systems as large as itself rolls ever silently through space in the direction of the constellation of hercules the great spheres of which it is composed spin and spin through the eternal void ceaselessly and noiselessly of these the smallest and most insignificant is that conglomeration of solid and of liquid particles, which we have named the Earth. It whirls onward, now as it has done, before my birth, and will do after my death, a revolving mystery, coming none know whence, and going none know whither. Upon the outer crust of this moving mass crawl many mites, of whom I, John Mitvidi, am one, helpless and potent, being dragged aimlessly through space, yet. Such is the state of things amongst us that the little energy and glimmer of reason which I possess is entirely taken up with the labors which are necessary in order to procure certain metallic disks wherewith I may purchase the chemical elements necessary to build up my ever-wasting tissue and keep a roof over me to shelter me from the inclemency of the weather. I thus have no thought to expend upon the vital questions which surround me on every side yet miserable entity as i am i can still at times feel some degree of happiness and am even save the mark puffed up occasionally with a sense of my own importance these words as i have said i wrote down in my notebook and they reflect accurately the thoughts which i found rooted down in my soul ever-present and unaffected by the passing emotion of the hour. At last, however, came a time when my uncle McVitie of Glencairn died, the same who was at one time chairman of committees of the House of Commons. He divided his great wealth among his many nephews, and I found myself with sufficient to provide amply for my wants during the remainder of my life, and became at the same time owner of a bleak tract of land upon the coast of caithness which i think the old man must have bestowed upon me in derision for it was sandy and valueless and he had ever a grim sense of humour up to this time i had been an attorney in a midland town in england now i saw that i could put my thoughts into effect and leaving all petty and sordid aims could elevate my mind by the study of the secrets of nature. My departure from my English home was somewhat accelerated by the fact that I had nearly slain a man in a quarrel, for my temper was fiery, and I was apt to forget my own strength when enraged. There was no legal action taken in the matter, but the papers yelped at me, and folk looked askance when I met them. It ended by my cursing them and their vile Smoke polluted town, and hurrying to my northern possession, where I might at last find peace and an opportunity for solitary study and contemplation. I borrowed from my capital before I went, and so was able to take with me a choice collection of the most modern philosophical instruments and books, together with chemicals and such other things as I might need in my retirement. The land which I had inherited. Was a narrow strip consisting mostly of sand and extending for rather over two miles round the coast of Mansey Bay in Caithness upon this strip there had been a rambling graystone building when erected, or wherefore none could tell me, and this I had repaired so that it made a dwelling quite good enough for one of my simple tastes. One room was my laboratory, another my sitting-room and in a third just under the sloping roof i slung the hammock in which i always slept there were three other rooms but i left them vacant except one which was given over to the old crone who kept house for me save the youngs and mcleeds who are fisher folk living round at the other side of fergus Ness, there was no other people for many miles in each direction in front of the house was the great bay, behind it were two long barren hills, capped by other loftier ones beyond. There was a glen between the hills, and when the wind was from the land, it used to sweep down this with a melancholy sough and whisper among the branches of the fir trees beneath my attic window. I dislike my fellow mortals. Justice compels me to add that they appear for the most part to dislike me. I hate their little crawling ways, their conventionalities, their deceits, their narrow rights and wrongs. They take offense at my brusque outspokenness, my disregard for their social laws, my impatience of all constraint. Among my books and my drugs, in my lonely den at Mansie, I could let the great drove of the human race pass onwards with their politics and inventions and tittle-tattle. And I remained behind, stagnant and happy. Not stagnant either, for I was working in my own little groove, and making progress. I have reason to believe that Dalton's atomic theory is founded upon error, and I know that mercury is not an element. During the day, I was busy with my distillations and analysis. Often I forgot my meals, and when old Madge summoned me to my tea, I found my dinner lying untouched upon the table that night i read bacon descartes spinoza kant all those who have pried into what is unknowable they are all fruitless and empty barren of result but prodigal in polysyllables reminding me of men who while digging for gold have turned up many worms and then exhibit them exultingly as being what they sought at times, a restless spirit would come upon me, and I would walk thirty and forty miles without rest or breaking fast. On these occasions, when I used to stalk through the country villages, gaunt, unshaven, and disheveled, the mothers would rush into the road and drag their children indoors, and the rustics would swarm out of their pothouses to gaze at me. I believe that I was known far and wide as the Mad Lord of Mansie it was rarely however that i made these raids into the country for i usually took my exercise upon my own beach where i soothed my spirit with strong black tobacco and made the ocean my friend and my confidant what companion is there like the great restless throbbing sea what human mood is there which it does not match and sympathize with there are none so gay but that they may feel gayer when they listen to its merry turmoil and see the long green surges racing in with the glint of the sunbeams in their sparkling crests but when the gray waves toss their heads in anger and the wind screams above them goading them on to madder and more tumultuous efforts then the darkest-minded of men feels that there is a melancholy principle in nature which is as gloomy as his own thoughts when it was calm in the Bay of Mansi, the surface would be as clear and bright as a sheet of silver, broken only at one spot some little way from the shore, where a long black line projected out of the water, looking like the jagged back of some sleeping monster. This was the top of the dangerous ridge of rocks known to fishermen as the Ragged Reef of Mansi. When the wind blew from the east, the waves would break upon it like thunder, and the spray would be tossed far over my house and up to the hills behind. The bay itself was a bold and noble one, but too much exposed to the northern and eastern gales, and too much dreaded for its reef to be much used by mariners. There was something of romance about this lonely spot. I have lain in my boat upon a calm day, and peering over the edge I have seen far down, the flickering ghostly forms of great fish fish as it seemed to me such as a naturalist never knew and which my imagination transformed into the genii of that desolate bay once as i stood by the break of the waters upon a quiet night a great cry as of a woman in hopeless grief rose from the bosom of the deep and swelled out upon the still air now sinking and now rising, for a space of thirty seconds. This I heard with my own ears. In this strange spot, with the eternal hills behind me and the eternal sea in front, I worked and brooded for more than two years, unpestered by my fellow men. By degrees I had trained my old servant into habits of silence, so that she now rarely opened her lips. Though I doubt not, that when twice a year she visited her relations in wick her tongue during those few days made up for its enforced rest i had come almost to forget that i was a member of the human family and to live entirely with the dead whose books i pored over when a sudden incident occurred which threw all my thoughts into a new channel three rough days in june had been succeeded by one calm and peaceful one there was not a breath of air that evening the sun sank down in the west behind a line of purple clouds and the smooth surface of the bay was gashed with scarlet streaks along the beach the pools left by the tide showed up like gouts of blood against the yellow sand as if some wounded giant had toyfully passed that way and had left these red traces of his grievous hurt behind him as the darkness closed in certain ragged clouds which had lain low on the eastern horizon west and formed a great irregular cumulus the glass was still low and i knew that there was mischief brewing about nine o'clock a dull moaning sound came up from the sea as from a creature who much harassed learns that the hour of suffering has come round again at ten a sharp breeze sprang up from the eastward. At eleven, it had increased to a gale. And by midnight, the most furious storm was raging, which I ever remember upon that weather-beaten coast. As I went to bed, the shingle and seaweed were pattering up against my attic window, and the wind was screaming as though every gust were a lost soul. By that time, the sounds of the tempest had become a lullaby to me, I knew that the gray walls of the old house would buffet it out, and for what occurred in the world outside I had small concern. Old Madge was usually as callous to such things as I was myself. It was a surprise to me when, about three in the morning, I was awoke by the sound of great knocking at my door and excited cries in the wheezy voice of my housekeeper. I sprang out of my hammock and roughly demanded of her what was the matter ah oh, master master she screamed in her hateful dialect come down mon come down there's a muckle ship gone ashore on the reef and the poor folks are a yammerin and callin for help and i doubt they'll be drowned oh master MacVittie, come down hold your tongue you hag i shouted back in passion what is it to you whether they are drowned or not get back to your bed and leave me alone i turned in again and drew the blankets over me those men out there i said to myself have already gone through half the horrors of death if they be saved they will but have to go through the same once more in the space of a few brief years it is best therefore that they should pass away now since they have suffered that anticipation which is more than the pain of dissolution with this thought in my mind, I endeavored to compose myself to sleep once more, for that philosophy which had taught me to consider death as a small and trivial incident in a man's eternal and ever changing career had also broken me of much curiosity concerning worldly matters. On this occasion I found, however, that the old leaven still fermented strongly in my soul. I tossed from side to side for some minutes endeavoring to beat down the impulses of the moment by the rules of conduct which i had framed during my months of thought then i heard a dull roar among the wild shriek of the gale and i knew that it was the sound of a signal gun driven by an uncontrollable impulse i rose dressed and having lit my pipe walked out onto the beach it was pitch dark when i came outside and the wind blew with such a violence that I had to put my shoulder against it and push my way along the shingle my face pringled and smarted with the sting of the gravel which was blown against it and the red ashes of my pipe streamed away behind me dancing fantastically through the darkness i went down to where the great waves were thundering in and shading my eyes with my hands to keep off the salt spray i peered out to sea i could distinguish nothing and yet it seemed to me that shouts and great inarticulate cries were borne to me by the blasts suddenly as i gazed i made out the glint of a light and then the whole bay and beach were lit up in a moment by a vivid blue glare they were burning colored signal light on board of the vessel there she lay on her beam ends Right in the center of the jagged reef, hurled over to such an angle that I could see all the planking of her deck. She was a large two-masted schooner of foreign rig and lay perhaps a hundred and eighty or two hundred yards from the shore. Every spar and rope and writhing piece of cordage showed up hard and clear under the livid light which sputtered and flickered from the highest portion of the forecastle. Beyond the doomed ship, out of the great darkness came the long rolling lines of black waves never-ending never tiring with a petulant tuff of foam here and there upon their crests each as it reached the broad circle of unnatural light appeared to gather strength and volume and to hurry on more impetuously until with a roar and jarring crash it sprang upon its victim clinging to the weather shrouds I could distinctly see some ten or twelve frightened seamen, who, when their light revealed my presence, turned their white faces towards me and waved their hands imploringly. I felt my gorge rise against these poor cowering worms. Why should they presume to shirk the narrow pathway along which all that is great and noble among mankind has travelled? There was one there who interested me more than they. He was a tall man who stood apart from the others, balancing himself upon the swaying wreck as though he disdained to cling to rope or bulwark. His hands were clasped behind his back, and his head was sunk upon his breast. But even in that despondent attitude there was a litheness and decision in his pose, and in every motion which marked him as a man little likely to yield to despair. Indeed. I could see by his occasional rapid glances up and down and all around him that he was weighing every chance of safety. But though he often gazed across the raging surf to where he could see my dark figure upon the beach, his self-respect, or some other reason, forbade him from imploring my help in any way. He stood dark, silent, and inscrutable, looking down on the black sea and waiting for whatever fortune fate might send him. It seemed to me that the problem would very soon be settled. As I looked, an enormous billow, topping all others and coming after them, like a driver following a flock, swept over the vessel. Her foremast snapped short off, and the men who clung to the shrouds were brushed away like a swarm of flies. With a rending, writhing sound, the ship began to split in two where the sharp back of the mansie reef was sawing into her keel the solitary man upon the forecastle ran rapidly across the deck and seized hold of a white bundle which i had already observed but failed to make out as he lifted it up the light fell upon it and i saw that the object was a woman with a spar lashed across her body and under her arms in such a way that her head should always rise above water he bore her tenderly to the side and seemed to speak for a minute or so to her, as though explaining the impossibility of remaining upon the ship. Her answer was a singular one. I saw her deliberately raise her hand and strike him across the face with it. He appeared to be silenced for a moment or so by this, but he addressed her again, directing her, as far as I could gather from his motions, how she should behave when in the water. She shrank away from him, but he caught her in his arms. He stooped over her for a moment and seemed to press his lips against her forehead. Then a great wave came welling up against the side of the breaking vessel, and leaning over, he placed her upon the summit of it, as gently as a child might be committed to its cradle. I saw her white dress flickering among the foam on the crest of the dark billow and then the light sank gradually lower and the riven ship and its lonely occupant were hidden from my eyes. As I watched those things my manhood overcame my philosophy, and I felt a frantic impulse to be up and doing. I threw my cynicism to one side as a garment which I might don again at leisure, and I rushed wildly to my boat and my sculls. She was a leaky tub but what then was i who had cast many a wistful doubtful glance at my opium bottle to begin now to weigh chances and to cavil at danger i dragged her down to the sea with the strength of a maniac and sprang in for a moment or two it was a question whether she could live among the boiling surge but a dozen frantic strokes took me through it half full of water but still afloat I was out on the unbroken waves now, at one time climbing, climbing up the broad black breast of one, then sinking down, down on the other side, until looking up, I could see the gleam of foam all around me against the dark heavens. Far behind me I could hear the wild wailings of old Madge, who seeing me start had no doubt thought my madness had come to a climax. As I rode i peered over my shoulder until at last on the belly of a great wave which was sweeping toward me i distinguished the vague white outline of the woman stooping over i seized her as she swept by me and with an effort lifted her all sodden with water into the boat there was no need now to row back for the next billow carried us in and threw us upon the beach i dragged the boat out of danger then lifting the woman, I carried her to the house, followed by my housekeeper, loud with congratulation and praise. End of Section 10